Welcome to Wonks and War Rooms, where political communication theory meets on-the-ground strategy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Dubois, and today we're talking about the idea of public opinion, publics, network publics, calculated publics, all of the publics. My guest today is David Coletto, and I'm going to get him to introduce himself. Morning, David. Pleasure to be here. Um, for the last 10 years, I've been uh, running and, and started a polling firm based in Ottawa called Abacus Data. And uh, we do market research, uh, political uh, communications research, public affairs research. And I think the, the best connection between what you're all studying and what we do on a day-to-day basis is, um, you know, we do quite a bit of work trying to understand uh, how to communicate with Canadians, how to communicate with different audiences. And we do that by first understanding what they think, most, more importantly, almost what they perceive the world to be like. And then um, through a lot of the research, whether qualitative or through quantitative surveys, try to gauge what messages, what framing, um, what arguments are most effective at, you know, getting people to where my clients want them to be. Uh, so it's a mix of, of all of that. And, and so almost everything we do is about communications broadly and a lot of the public affairs work, whether we're working for an association, for a corporation, for a nonprofit, for a charity. We don't do political work, but if we did, the same applies. And, and that is how do you persuade people and motivate them to do the things you want to do? Perfect. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you've probably heard of the idea of public opinion before. Have you heard of this distinction that in academia we make between the idea of public and publics? Yeah, they're absolutely. And I think, you know, public opinion, the definition of, of that has been contested and debated for years. It's not, a, it's not a, it's a relatively new concept in the history of, I guess, social sciences. But even in the last hundred years, it's, it's evolved in terms of how we define it and, and what it is. But I think, you know, first you have, you know, this sense that public opinion is, you know, today we, we traditionally, I think, or, or we typically define it as what the average person or what a population. So let's say Canadians think about something, but that's evolved. It used to be what the majority of, you know, people think um, that came out of thinking about opinion leaders and, and group thinks and how differences across groups perceived issues. But, but I think, you know, public opinion typically refers to what we in our business call the general public, right? So those aged 18 plus who live in the country or live in a jurisdiction. And our goal is to measure and try to represent the views of everybody through the survey research that we do. Right. And is that only survey research that you do to gather that information? Or do you ever use other kinds of data? I think survey research is the primary way, or at least it's the, I would say the way that that most people would expect to measure public opinion. So whether, you know, if you, if you're going to advocate to a political leader or a journalist and say, here's what the public thinks, their starting point will be, well, show me the survey, right? But we have other ways of measuring public opinion. Um, you know, historically or traditionally, people would, would look to the media as a, as a, as a voice of, of the public. So editorials and, and the, the content that particularly newspapers would produce would be a, perhaps a measure of public opinion. We now today, we've got social media, right? We have the ability to not, not just ask people questions through our traditional surveys, but um, hear what people are, see what people are saying 
passively. And so social media has become a way that we now measure public opinion. Is it the best measure? It's contested, um, but it is a measure of, of public opinion. And then there are other things, um, you know, oftentimes you'll hear an MP say, Canadians think this or Canadians think that, and, and he or she might be concluding that based on a handful of conversations he or she has in their constituency or by phone calls they receive at their at their office. So I think everybody has a different conception of how to interpret or determine what public opinion is. But I think, you know, well, I, I'm in the business of doing surveys. I will say like perhaps the, 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 the most consistent way is by, is by doing a representative survey, but it's not the only way that you can get a good feel about what uh, a public is thinking about something. Yeah. That, I mean, that tracks really well with the kind of academic perspective from Polcom literature that we've seen, you know, the, the way you described public opinion from representative surveys, it's, you know, it goes back to roughly the 1930s with Gallup being like, hey, mm-hmm. I have a better way of predicting who's going to win the next U.S. election. I can I can guess who president's going to be because I've talked to this sample of Americans, not all of them, but a selection of them that roughly mirror the larger population. And I think you're right to say that when we say the general public or public opinion, we often are thinking to those kinds of representative surveys. And we have this kind of base in statistics that tells us why that should make sense. But today I want to focus more on that idea of the public. So you you pointed to let's take Canadians as an example. So that's one version of what the public could be. Mm-hmm. But we could also do like provincially focused samples or even down to like a particular community. You can still have represented representation to a population that is not the entire Canadian population. Right. And so there we get into that idea of there possibly being multiple publics. And so I wonder when you're working with clients to try and establish what kind of survey you're going to run and what the population is going to be, do you guys have conversations about which public they care about and and what co- kind of language do you use when you're talking to them about establishing that population? Absolutely. Let's, let me give you some examples. You know, one that is perhaps the least relevant to your class, but probably the easiest to understand is if you are a cat food maker, Mm-hmm. the most relevant public for you is owners of cats. Mm-hmm. Like they're the ones going into the pet shops and, or going on Amazon and buying cat food. So you, if you're going to want to understand that audience uh, that matters to you, well then cat owners is, 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 is particularly important, but from a more sort of political comms perspective or public affairs perspective, you know, one of the things we often do uh, when we talk about political research is the difference between those who can vote and those who can't. So, you know, uh, eligible voters from a public affairs lens are more valuable than those who can't. They have a direct say in, in the country. There's lots of people who live in Canada who can't vote and are impacted by the, dis- the decisions that political leaders make, but they actually have no say or direct say in, in who gets to govern them. So that would be one way of spli- slicing it up. But then we can also take it one step further and say, well, I'm only interested in likely voters. So even if you know, you've got 20 plus million Canadians eligible to vote. You know, we know in the last few federal elections, for example, about 65 to 70% are, are going to turn out. So it, you distill that even down. And that means that public is probably a little bit older, um, a little bit more wealthy. 
And, and so we're talking about a different group of people. So the more that you kind of distill down to a smaller group, who you're talking about um, will, will, will inevitably change. One of the other subgroups or publics that we often talk about in public affairs is engaged Canadians, right? Or, or informed Canadians, those, and it's about 30% of the country who actively consume large amounts of media, perhaps are most likely to participate in political life beyond just voting. So they may be members of parties, they may be donors, they may, um, you know, actively tweet or, or share on Facebook their political views. And that public is particularly important from a advocacy or communications perspective in that not only are they consuming more information, but they are influencers themselves. And so if you understand the influencers, if you, if you understand where they're almost leading everybody else. So if they think X, then maybe in a few months, the rest of the country will follow them. So it's a, it's a particularly important, I think, public that, that we often look to because they are signals to where perhaps the rest of the country might be going. Yeah, that's super interesting. And, you know, you've used the the term opinion leader a little bit, and I've actually got another episode uh, about opinion leaders. So the students are going to be introduced to that idea. We talked about opinion leaders in the sort of like on the ground, getting out votes context with a campaigner. But what you're describing strikes me as being connected to the idea of like early adopters. So looking to the people who, you know, new tech comes out, they want it first, or there's a new idea uh, kind of percolating in the public. They're the ones who are going to inform themselves first. And we see them in a bunch of different areas, which is super interesting. But it brings to mind a question for me of what's the difference between the idea of a public and just like an audience or a segment of the population? Like, is there a meaningful difference between how we conceptualize public and just segmenting out the group? And so maybe I can give you a bit of background on how Paul Com literature has talked about publics, they've looked at the idea of publics as, as being sometimes connected through community, connected through shared experiences, connected through shared goals or aspirations. Uh, and the more we get into those sort of like cultural definitions of public, the, the harder it is to do nice, clear sort of Mm -hmm. systematic assessment, which obviously is necessary for survey research. I was wondering what you think about that idea of public needing some sort of social connection to be considered a public. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm a increasingly a believer that, that, that matters um, to the outcome. And when I say to the outcome, I mean to what that public does or how they move or act collectively. So if, if, if I, as a researcher, take a sample, say I, I interview a thousand Canadians and I decide I want to split them based on their views towards climate change or government spending or some demographic profile, that's useful to some extent for me in terms of, you know, de- de- describing who they are and, and why they matter. But, but I think to your conception of public, it will matter more if those groups I create and I'm creating them based on my own decisions actually have an identity, they identify with that group, they see common cause. And when you have that, that's a kind of public or that is a public that I think is much more meaningful because it's going to be first a durable kind of, of structure that then allows us to think about that group 
as having certain attributes. And I think that is in my mind, if I think of like, we're, we're talking somewhat conceptually here, mm-hmm. but that's the basis for us to understand how to, how to, how to structure it. But that conception of public as being something that's first felt by an individual within that group or is led by a leader or a set of leaders, um, I think gets us to a point where they matter more. And the reason it, it I think matters is you hear all the time, political leaders, those who have power referencing publics, right? Referencing the views of these groups. And that's where if they're well-defined, if they have common connections, they are more likely to be influential and to be listened to. And so I think that's the value in it. But, but I do think that, that there is a distinction between a segmentation or just, um, you know, defining people by their characteristics or their, their views or their behaviors, which is what we normally do in market research in terms of segmentation. We never use the term publics, mm-hmm. right, to describe these subgroups because I think there's something deeper in that public view. I'll give you an example. I, I'm, I've, when I was doing my studying in grad school, I was fascinated by the identity that Quebecers and, and Scots might have to their subnational or national state and the role that that played in their views towards you know, sovereignty or independence. And so when I uh, think about Scotland, for example, there's a question that, that researchers often ask is, do you see yourself as more Scot than British or equally British and Scottish or more British than Scottish? If we use that question to divide publics, for example, in Scotland, you do see a distinction there. And that's a partly built around identity, right? And so we can speak to those who identify more as Scottish as a subgroup or a public of that, of that nation that I think affects their behavior and there's a common identity. And we now see, you know, a strong independence moving in Scotland and a referendum a few years ago that I think was built on that. And so when the current first minister of Scotland, she herself supports separation, their nationalist party, when she speaks of the public in Scotland, she, I think is speaking about that group, Mm -hmm. right? as opposed to the broader population, because that's, they, they have alignment and, and, and common cause. Yeah, that's a really, really super clear example. Thank you for that. It really illustrates the difference, I think, between the idea of a public and, and segmentation. Like segmentation, we can choose whatever characteristics we want, and we are going to get information out of it by cutting up the larger population in those ways. But that doesn't necessarily align with those cultural constructs. Right. Super interesting. Okay. I want to switch gears just a little bit because earlier you mentioned that uh, social media data, among other kinds of data, can start to be used to start to, I guess, infer public opinion to a certain extent. And one of the things that in academia has started to come out are these ideas of networked publics and calculated publics. Have you heard of either of those terms before? I've heard of networked, but not calculated. Tell me more. Okay, great. So the idea of network publics is these are publics that basically are formed of users of a particular social media platform or other digital tool. And so the idea is if you are on Facebook, you become part of that Facebook public because you are contributing to... Uh, conversations there and you're having experiences there and you're building relationships and fostering them, continuing Mm -hmm. them. The idea is not to say that 
the experiences you have on Facebook are distinct from the rest of the world. Like just because you're part of a networked public on Facebook doesn't mean you're no longer part of the rest of the publics. Um, but it has this this specific focus on the social media experience because social media tools are developed in a way that afford us particular kinds of interactions. And, and so that could create a new kind of public for us. Uh, and then we think of that as being useful because we can think about going to Facebook groups and pulling out information about like, oh, yeah, you think that, uh, you know, more funding should go to Canada Parks because you really are a park enthusiast, right? The flip side is the idea of calculated publics where we're looking at the ways that social media platforms design algorithms that essentially create publics for us. Mm. And so we have things like um, customers like you bought this book when you have bought something on Amazon. And so they're envisioning a public. They're envisioning what you and your people are like based on people's purchasing habits. Or, you know, Twitter having, this is trending in Canada. Right. Like they've come up with some definition of the Canadian public in order to tell us what's trending there. Yeah. And so those are the, the calculated publics. Like Instagram knows that I love road cycling because on my, my just general feed, it's like 80% cycling stuff, right? Like, and I've never told it I do, but it knows based on what I'm looking at and who I follow that that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's connected me to that community in a way that I didn't choose to join it. Is that, is that the, the basic, like the, the algorithm has forced me there. Yeah. And it's like, they have, envisioned a public that you are part of without you self-identifying as being part of that public. Which is in, in some way, if you, if you expand it to what our conversation earlier is no different than me as a researcher deciding who fits into my nice, neat box of a segmentation. But in this way, they're using an algorithm and data, big data to, to determine that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so then there's, you know, based on the conversation we had before where we distinguished usefully between sort of the the more cultural based ideas of what a public is and and the power that having those social relationships as part of our conception offers versus the segmentation approach that isn't necessarily informed by those same social structures you know you could question whether or not these calculated publics are in fact publics in the in the useful sense of the term right mm -hmm. Well, I, I, that makes total sense. And I, and I think of, and I don't use Reddit actively or hardly at all, but I was listening to a podcast by the founders of Reddit and what their vision was, is to create a platform that created communities, like purposely created communities. And so when I think about Reddit as built around networked publics, right, that are meaningfully connected, that participate and are actively doing it. You know, if I am going to use that platform as a way to measure that public's opinion or, or the views of that, I have to be aware of what being a member of that public means and, and, and what's involved versus a connected public is probably a lot more artificial and it's not well, you know, you're not, you're not connected to it. That's an interesting uh, way of seeing it. And, and I think you see parallels outside of social media. I mean, social media is really just a microcosm of life. Maybe it, it exaggerates certain parts of it, but I think you see the same kinds of distinctions in, in just our general life and how society and, and people are connected and network with each other. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and that idea of 
networked public. I think the the example of Reddit is really useful because people choose to go and join a subreddit. They choose to participate in it and they engage it in it. And and the roles of moderators on Reddit really highlight the the social structures that create that public or or mm-hmm. inform that public. Uh, whereas these calculated publics, you know, it's kind of like well, we can sell you the idea of you have access to this public because we have all of this big data and algorithms and you don't know how they work so we can convince you that they're magic, right? And so then there's one argument that like it's it's a marketing technique. It's a it's a strategy for segmenting your population. You're not doing it by people like yourself making decisions about how it should be segmented, but you are trusting an algorithm that's been designed by people uh, to do that. And ultimately, there's this sort of weird tension between describing what you've actually done, which is chunking up the population based on their behaviors online, and the idea that, well, it's social media, so you should get that social information too. Right. I wonder if the effectiveness that we've seen some examples, um, if you've seen, uh, um, I mean, the HBO movie Brexit is not the best, um, I think, you know, description of the Cambridge Analytica, but it's an effectively entertaining way of showing, you know, what happened there where they use these calculated publics Mm -hmm. to, you know, in a way manipulate them into voting in a certain way. And so is it more effective or less effective when you're trying to mobilize these publics? Mm Mm-hmm. When if you're cal- if you're a member of a calculated public, you don't know you are. Yeah. Right. You don't know that you've been assigned a score of likelihood to vote Brexit or not, or vote conservative or not, or vote Trump or you know liberal or whatever. You know, then it becomes a question about ethics and how do you actually engage these publics. Whereas if I'm a member, if I know I'm a Canadian or a member of the electorate, um, that probably creates an ability for me to, to engage with that within that public, as opposed to one in which I'm a member of, but I don't know I am. And I've been artificially kind of placed there. It's, I mean, I mean, now we're going maybe above and talking about ethics and philosophy a little bit way outside my, um, but those, that's an interesting, I always try to think about like what motivates people and um, why do we get them to do what they do and not knowing that you are being targeted and grouped based on your past behavior that will be able to predict your future behavior is both scary, but also likely very powerful. Yeah. I think the, the kind of ethics around that are really interesting. I think it is kind of a topic for, for a different episode, but it makes me think about why, why we care about the public at all. Right. And why public opinion has become part of our democratic systems. And, you know, the basic argument is Public opinion helps people see what other people think and care about and then develop, further develop their own opinions. It helps kind of get a sense of whether or not their political systems are reflective of their needs and wants and desires. It helps political elites, as we tend to call them, so like politicians and government and journalists. It helps them figure out what to focus on. And so we think about public opinion as playing this really crucial role in that information process and policy development process and communication process. And 
if people don't know that they're part of the process, can it still be that useful in our democratic systems, right? Like if, it was, if we were to only be relying on calculated publics, would we lose something? Great question. I think we, I think we would. I just don't know what. I think it's so new, right? It's such a new concept. And I think you lose that sense of community. You lose the, the motivation, the ability to, 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 to feel connected to it. But um, it, it just feels so artificial, right? It feels, it, it, I think it, if it sounds like that world none of us want to live in. And I think it also, and to the point of why public opinion is so powerful, a concept is that it is often used to justify decisions. And, you know, as you said, we live in a, we live in a democratic society in which, you know, every person has a vote and therefore there's a natural um, connection, a natural um, relationship between the concept of public opinion in that democratic system, because we care what each individual thinks of things, but that's a relatively new version of public opinion where, you know, in the past leaders of social groups, um, elite opinion was actually the indicator of public opinion. Anyways, it's, it's a really, uh, it's a really interesting way of thinking about our community, our collective community and how we then both self-identify, but also use that concept to justify things that we do. Yeah, definitely. All right. So my last question for you is uh, just a quick little quiz. Uh-oh. And so I'm wondering if you can explain to me the difference between networked publics and calculated publics. Oh, okay. So a networked public, and we're talking this through like, I guess the lens of social media is how I'm conceptualizing it, but a networked public would be one in which I actively uh, participate on say, you know, Reddit or Facebook or Twitter and may through that get connected with a, a group or a broader group. And, and that's defined by my participation and my activity through it. A calculated network would be one that is created through some, what we would call algorithm, but some artificial uh, structure that I don't even know I'm a member of and I'm not actively participating. So it's inferring that I'm a member of it through my other behaviors or things I've done as opposed to me knowing I'm a part of it by actively participating in it. Yeah, that's pretty great. Close. That's very great. Okay. The only little thing you said calculated network is calculated public, but I understood what you meant. Right. Because we were talking publics and networks. Yes, yes. I know. Yeah. All of the terms yeah. interweaving with each other. All right. I'll take uh, I'll take an eight out of 10 there. That's okay. At least 8.5. Okay. All right. That was our episode on the idea of public opinion. Network publics, calculated publics, multiple publics. We talked a lot about how public opinion is often thought of as kind of the aggregate of all of a population's opinions or ideas on a particular thing. But then we dove into the idea of having multiple publics depending on who your population is, who you actually care about, who you conceive of as being part of a community. We talked about the cultural aspects and social dynamics of what constitutes a public and contrasted that to simple segmentation, which often happens in survey research. Then we jumped into the idea of network publics versus calculated publics, network publics being ones that are communities of users of a given social media platform, whereas calculated publics are the publics kind of conceived of by the platforms themselves, the algorithmically driven creators of people like you and friends of friends on Facebook and 
those people who are contributing to whatever's trending in your region on Twitter. If you'd like to know more about any of these concepts or theories, go ahead and check the show notes or paulcomtech.ca for more resources. <laughs>